Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Okay, here's the situation. Our daughter Mia is leaving for her first sleepover. We have friends coming to stay, and we just got a puppy. So I go on Instacart and solve everything in one order from Kohl's. Fun PJs for Mia. Oh, new bedding for the guest room. And a vacuum cleaner that actually picks up pet hair. All delivered in as fast as 30 minutes. With Kohl's on Instacart, there's no such we can't fix. Visit instacart.com to get free delivery on your first three orders. Offer valid for a limited time. $10 minimum order. Additional terms apply. This is Spoke, the all-new and exclusive podcast series with me, Chidera, a.k.a. The Slum Flower. And me, Sully Breaks, poet, writer, spoken word, artist, etc., etc. Where we discuss issues at the heart of youth culture and how music and literature are shaping the conversation. Turning on the news today, you'd be forgiven for thinking you are living in a nightmarish alternate reality. And it often feels like the only option we have is to curl up under a blanket and wait for this all to blow over. When we think of an activist, we often think of someone far removed from ourselves. Malcolm X, Rosa Parks, Malala Yousafzai, iconic figures who have enacted great change in their lifetime. And it's easy to think that we could never live up to someone who's achieved so much. The media is quick to paint young people as lazy and self-involved, a generation who are too busy editing selfies to really care about the world around them. But that's not the truth. From the Brixton riots of 1981 to the Women's March of last year, youth activism has always acted as a powerful tool for enacting political change. But what are the first steps to making a change? Does anything we do really matter? And can a hashtag really change the world? This week, we talk activism as we attempt to show you that no matter the obstacle, no matter your age, you can make a definite change to the world around you. So, Sully, would you consider yourself an activist? No. no what do you mean, no? no? Uh, I, I, okay, I think I'm going to be enlightened in today's podcast because I yeah. feel like the term activist, like you were saying, it kind of imposes an obligation on you, which I don't think there's anything wrong if you're willing to accept it. But sometimes I think prematurely it imposes an obligation on people who are just kind of like expressing a reality that we should all acknowledge. You kind of get what I'm saying? If you're, if something is wrong and you're saying that it's wrong and sometimes people say, oh, you're an activist, it's kind of like a way to marginalise your voice and make you seem as though you're part of a separate conversation that shouldn't mm. be happening. Do you kind of get what I'm saying? So I, I think I'm, I'm a passionate individual about okay. specific causes and my reality, but would I let someone label me an activist? I don't know. I'm still in two minds about that. Okay. Well, weirdly, I have that kind of same relationship with the word activism. Sometimes I feel like I am an activist. Other times I feel like 
like you said, I'm just a person that cares. And maybe the bar is so low that anybody who remotely cares about anything outside of their self is literally called, oh, my God, you're an activist. But I think you use the word enlightened. And I think we're going to be very enlightened today because we are joined by the Pink Protest, which is a community of activists committed to engaging in action and supporting each other. They are the home of the hashtag free periods movement and exist in various mediums from regular and real life events to online video content to actual real life protests so we're joined by three wonderful members amazing, of the Pink protest amazing people. in such great company i'm really gassed very excited super 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 keen to introduce all three of you but rules are there is no underplaying your greatness housekeeping none of that housekeeping none of that yeah talk. yeah especially you i'm looking at you <laughs> yeah you're like gonna try and you're do the humility one, and so you're yeah. probably gonna be like oh imposter syndrome i'm not gonna say you're really great i know you're great everyone deserves to be here so don't yeah. feel like you have to minimize yourself you know, you just say who you are, what you've yeah. achieved, and let people respect it. You know what I mean? Yeah. So we're joined by Scarlett Curtis, Amica George, and Grace Campbell. Grace, you want to introduce yourself first? Oh, God. Okay. Um, so I'm Grace Campbell. I'm a stand up comedian, a writer, and an activist. I this year made a show for Channel 4, which was a feminist prank show where me and three mm-hmm. other comedians pranked mainly men uh, in public spaces. Love that. Yeah. Uh, it was the dream. And then I co founded the Pink Protest which is what we're mainly here to talk about today. Exciting. Fun to talk about Riot Girls. (laughs) (laughs) I'll get it in. Yeah. Um, So my name's Amica George. I'm 19 and at university and started a campaign called Free Periods, which is aiming to eliminate period poverty in the UK. Um, And I started it after reading about it in the news and worked with Scarlett and Grace in organising a massive protest outside Downing Street where 2,000 young people came, um, very enthusiastic teenagers wearing red and made a lot of noise outside Parliament and ended up... Um, resulting in the government giving one and a half million to end period poverty in the UK. But um, that wasn't the end. We're still going. We're still fighting to end period poverty and raise awareness about it and also talking about the taboo and shame and stigma around periods. It's incredible. Yeah, Yeah, she's amazing. amazing. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. (laughs) Come on, Scarlett. Scarlett, you want to introduce yourself? I am Scarlett Curtis. I am a writer and journalist and activist. I'm a contributing editor at Sunday Time Style and I used to write a column for them. Um, And I just curated a book called Feminists Don't Wear Pink and Other Lies, which Amica and Grace are both in, um, which is a collection of essays by 52 women on what feminism means to them. And all the royalties go to an amazing charity called Girl Up. And I co-founded The Pink Protest. Incredible. (laughs) So when did you first realise you were an activist? So it's really interesting what you were saying. We actually met Amica when we made this video series called You Are an Activist, where we interviewed, as it was one of our first projects as the Pink Protest, and we interviewed about... For like yeah, twenty like, women in two, yeah, days. Yeah. two days, yeah, and um, this is women that like we respected so much that have like dedicated their whole lives to like helping the refugee crisis or helping women, and all of them we'd put the camera on them and be like, "Are you an activist?" And they'd all be like, "I don't know if I've done enough to earn that title, and I don't know if I am." And me and Grace are both. Oh, I'm very comfortable with that word. I really love that word, and I love what activism involves and entails, and I love calling myself an activist and. Like you said, I don't think it takes much to be an activist. And part of why we started Pink Protest was to make people realise, like, if you do anything to try and make the world a better place, you're an activist. Mm. But I do Mm. think the word has a really dodgy 
sort of connotation mm. yeah. like especially when it's used in the commercial exactly setting. and also like we're kind of taught to think activists are really radical and it's like their whole lives and they dedicate their whole lives yeah. to like yeah. this one cause so if you're not doing that then you can't be an activist yeah if you're just doing tiny little bits then it's like <laughs> you don't graduate to you're that uncomfortable role. enough yeah exactly so i think one of the things that we like were really passionate about at the beginning of this was being able to tell people and make people realize actually like even recycling in your house is a form of activism because yeah. that's contributing oh, to helping the environment. I mean, Chidera, like, you're like one of my hero actually. Yes, like you, the idea, the the idea Girl, that you would be like... your faves have imposter syndrome when it comes back to I'm like, <laughs> no, do I count I know, as No, but it's because we've got all these bad <laughs> yeah. ideas around the world. Because I, yeah. yeah. So do you guys, just um, just to put in there, do you guys think is that's more of an empowering philosophy then for everyone to feel like they're activists or do you feel like it then becomes, like you said, it can become problematic when people start to kind of claim the title. I don't think you said that, maybe we discussed it earlier, when people start to claim the title but not really inherently kind of doing anything to justify yeah, it. Yeah, but I think that it's it, you get into really tricky waters when you tell people they're not doing enough. Okay, yeah. It just makes people feel like, well, I'm not going to try then. If, yeah. if even the small things I'm doing aren't enough, then what what's the point? Because that's you're always going to tell me... I'm like I did a panel recently and there was a woman on the panel and this is why 2019 is going to be the year of no panels <laughs> there was a woman on the panel who got like really angry and started shouting at the audience and being like you're not doing enough you're not doing enough you're not doing enough and I just said yeah. to her how do you think you're going to make these people want it's to do fine, more yeah, yeah. by telling them they're not doing enough already it's not like we get merited and we get badges and whether or not we're good enough it's the little things as well and I think that's why we need to kind of rebrand what activism is it's the big things for sure it's yeah. a refugee crisis it's the environment but it's also just having conversations with people changing people's opinions informing people more about like gender race whatever it is I think that's a form of activism I feel like activist is like a weird word but activism shouldn't be mm. like activism should be something that you do but it doesn't have to you don't have to label yourself an activist or like like you see people like if you put activists in your Instagram bio it's like that has such a weight to it and like I understand what you're saying completely silly about like separating people who do activism from the people who are activists and like do that full time and like it's like there shouldn't be that separation it should just be people doing activism all the time mm, as opposed to it being like your career um yeah and also i think sometimes you know there are the people that start campaigns like you or run charities but all these and sometimes when we think i need to do more people think like i need to start a charity or start a campaign yeah. actually all these people want is support and if you support some of those people like i'd say every single person that supported free periods is an activist exactly, in some yeah. ways because we really needed that support and they were showing up and it wasn't for ego and it wasn't for credit they were just yeah. there Wow. You, I kind of just say, so you lot are just fucking amazing, bruv. Right? The way you just bounced off each other, <laughs> right? yeah? Just so seamless. I thought it was just me that I was just like, like <laughs> no, it's like the conversation with, nah, yes, sorry, sorry. My mind was just blown for a second. I was like, sorry, wow. Or, like, yeah, you're definitely. <laughs> <laughs> no, you guys are definitely like, I don't know, you guys are definitely like in sync in terms of how you view the world and what, and what you guys are. I think it's beautiful, you know what I mean? It's, I, just, I just, yeah, you blew my mind for a second there. So in terms of the conversation around activism, I think the most important thing to ask right now is, as I'm going through, is what inspires you then? I guess all of you have individual experiences that kind of brought you all together. Mm. And I generally hate when people ask the question, what inspires you? Because it's kind of generic. But I mean, <laughs> in this context specifically, when we're talking about something of such weight, was there a specific catalyst? Was it a series of things? Or when was the moment where you were like, were like OK, this is going to be my cause. I'm going to champion it. I think the really important thing is like realising that you can actually make 
changes. Mm. So again, going from like the big and the small, I was quite lucky to have grown up in a family that's very political. I grew up around politicians. I, I was around people who were actually like getting shit done. Yeah. So so that sort of made me feel like actually, because the, the really hard thing about getting into like activism is firstly, it's a privileged thing because if you haven't got enough money to dedicate a lot of your free time mm. to something, mm. unless you're being paid to do it as a job, if you haven't got enough money to kind of fund yourself to do things, you just can't do it because you yeah. have to work. Like that's the reality of life. So that was one thing that I kind of felt was like I was in a privileged position to do it. And then I'd sort of seen, you know, my mum and my dad have actually like changed the law. They've made things happen. So that inspired me. So I was kind of quite lucky in that sense because I think what's really daunting about it is that you have to be quite resilient and you have to realise that stuff takes years yeah. to actually happen. Mm. And sometimes it might not work. Yeah. And it's not a reason to stop fighting. No. But you just, it is a hard thing. You're not going to do one thing it's all going to change. Yeah, I feel like that's kind of, that was my introduction into activism was I felt like I wasn't like Grace Wise brought up into it, but I kind of fell into it by doing my campaign and quite very quickly realised that you can't just like start an online petition or tell someone you don't like something and expect or write to your MP and expect him to reply, which is what I realised very quickly. Um, For me, I started the campaign and after reading about period poverty and then just kind of got brought into this huge community of activists. Sorry, it's cut over there. Yeah, yeah. um, Just just to kind of like... um elaborate for people who may not be familiar yeah, with the concept sure. of period poverty who may be listening would it be okay for you to just discuss what, it's, what it means and what it yeah. inter- like how you interpret the whole phrase yeah of course so I only found out that period poverty was a thing in the UK especially um, in April last year so period poverty is when girls are missing school for up to a week every month because they can't afford pads, tampons, whatever sanitary wear they need. Um, And so they're missing school for that time during their period or they're forcing themselves to go to school and they use uh, toilet paper, newspaper, socks, the sleeves of T-shirts, whatever they can find to be able to get an education. So at the time I was doing my... um, my, I was in year 12, I was doing AS levels and I was just like disgusted that this was a thing and like thought about when I had to miss a tiny bit of school and that like made me really behind all my friends and I'd be really stressed having to catch up and just thinking about girls doing that for a week every month. Like, and it's, it's one awful. in ten girls in the UK. One in ten girls have struggled to afford them. There so was an advert. I think one of these. There was a, there's an advert that I saw on TV. Maybe yeah, it's, rela- it's related. It's related. I like. I liked because it had some poetry, it had some spoken word in it. Yeah, but I think it's a really good advert. Yeah, it, it was, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. Right. It was. Around, yeah. yeah. So now I think there's just a lot of awareness. But when I first read about it, no one had talked about it, and so there was like a, a charity called Freedom for Girls had discovered that it was happening in Leeds, and that kind of uncovered this whole problem across the country. And I think the fact that it was happening in the UK and there were girls who were too poor to go to school in the UK is what shocks most people because we don't think of yeah. the UK as kind of having that problem. We like yeah. to separate ourselves from like, you the know, other, the world, developing yeah. world in inverted mm-hmm. commas. Like it, I just think that's that kind of this issue really shows that that's not a thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, when I started the petition, um, that was kind of my introduction into activism. But actually, when I started it, I probably wouldn't have called myself an activist. I literally just thought I was putting something on social media and, like, sending it to my friends. And then I realised, actually, this is a lot bigger than just me and it's a whole community of people. Oh, wow. You saw Scarlett? Um, I think... So my parents have worked, run a charity my whole life, so, that like, charity was always a big part of my life. And you and, was involved in... in yeah, in, I mean, they, they work for, like, Comet Relief and Red Nose Days, so every, you know, year we'd, like, dress up and do all these so things. So you enjoyed but it, like, actively? I loved it, oh, yeah, okay. but it always felt like... I think there was this distinction of, like, charity always felt like it was very far away, and it was kind of like, we are very lucky and we have this responsibility to raise money for people that aren't as lucky. 
And then I moved to New York when I was 19 and was got really involved around the time of the election and kind of doing some campaigning for Hillary and then afterwards got really involved with all these activism groups sprung up. And it was like I'd worked from that point. I'd worked in NGOs and charities for like four years and it was like nothing I'd ever seen before in this world of big NGOs. It was like women. We were in like... What does NGO mean? Like non-profit organisations. So like big... what's the G? Non-governmental. Non-governmental oh. organization, yeah. It's um but it's like any big any big charity. I work for like Global Citizen, I did some stuff with the UN for their social media. And um but this activism like was like so kind of grassroots and we were like <laughs> sitting in women's living rooms or like you'd get a text and be like, You have to go to JFK now because of the Muslim ban, and then we'd go to JFK and be there for like two days. And it was just like it felt so raw and grassroots and exciting. And I was suddenly surrounded by these women who didn't work for a charity or work for an NGO, but they had just been doing activism their whole life because it was something that they were a part of, you know, like on their weekends or whenever they could. And to me that felt really fresh and exciting and like a new way of doing this kind of work that I'd never seen before so that's kind of where Pink Protest came from I really wanted to bring that real grassroots proper like campaigning feel back to the UK oh wow so in that context it's kind of like you you, you both all of you kind of gradually developed into the role then it's gradually a gradual process mm. of like awareness through like various kind of external factors as opposed to like one specific moment so I guess well, we'll go into that whole kind of thing about being triggered and response mm. um, response activism but as the theme of the show we normally ask every guest to bring an item so what do you guys have for us? Who wants to go, wants first? To go first? Oh, actually, I've just changed my item. Okay, yeah. I've just changed Love it. Love that. Okay. Never had that it's before. It's literally just yeah. in my Ever. head. It's like, it's like, I can tell you what I was going to do. Item on the spot. But actually, the, the thing that's just come into my head, and it's not um, an album, but it's Hannah Gadsby's Nanette. I don't yeah. know if you've yeah. seen it. No, I haven't. It's so she's a stand-up comedian. I'm a stand-up comedian. And, and this show uh, is it on netflix yeah it's on netflix. okay i think i know what you're talking about but i haven't seen it i'll definitely take it in. and she took it to edinburgh um a few years ago i don't think it was it was two two yeah. summers ago and it's basically like one of the most powerful hour of stand-ups i've ever watched and it's about her survival of rape and the effect that it had on her and it's the most clever powerful succinct and it's a comedy well it She's starts not... funny like okay. it's is, it is funny but it's kind of so for, for me like comedy is like a really important vehicle to bring some of these these ideas to the sort of like public domain firstly because like you can put people off I think if it's a bit too like worthy and intellectual and stuff so making it fun and humorous is amazing but so in the net like it starts being quite funny and then she kind of starts talking about um times two times she was assaulted and then it's just it ends on a very angry angry note and like I don't know anyone who's watched it that hasn't been like compelled to just cry afterwards but it makes you angry and it's really powerful I think that's the thing that you know for me as a comic as a comic you know that's that's what I want to be doing I want to be making people make people laugh also making people angry because we need to be angry Mm -hmm. and we need to feel empowered that we can actually make a difference so that's no it's a great choice yeah (laughs) I love the fact that you said we need to be angry yeah. Because there are a lot of things to be disappointed in in terms of how the world spins. And if we choose to not be angry, then we're choosing to comply. 
Yeah, mm. totally. Because the other, the other the thing I was going to say is Distant Relatives, which is Damien Marley and Nas's oh, album that they shit, did together man. in yeah, 2010. Yeah, yeah, and that nice. is my favourite album ever. And that is an angry, yeah, angry collection of songs. And whenever album. I listen to it, if I'm nervous or if I feel like I need to feel like I can go in somewhere full of rage, because especially as women, we're like told that we can't be angry and we can't mm. have rage. But actually, sometimes you need it to really get people to listen goes, to you. As we enter, that's how it starts. Yeah, as, as we, we enter. enter. <laughs> What about you, Amaka? What's your item? Um, mine is a lyric from Hamilton, which is a really cool musical um, about the life of Alexander Hamilton. Most people have heard of it, so I didn't understand. <laughs> yeah. yeah. so I actually don't niche. know what Hamilton is. Nice, really? yeah. stole. Yeah, stole. Nice. Really love it. You've got to listen to it. I I've made the mistake of starting to listen to it during my A levels and then pretending I could revise whilst listening to it. <laughs> so, wait, is this the soundtrack to the, the soundtrack? Yeah. soundtrack. Yeah. But the soundtrack kind of tells a narrative of exactly. the Exactly. It basically is the musical yeah. just. Oh, oh, so you can like get because that's so I don't have to go and watch the musical the soundtrack. Like, you yeah. should watch get the musical it. though. Yeah, the whole thing. Have you not yeah. seen it? No. <gasps> Tickets are very hard to come by, by the way, guys. <laughs> they are. <laughs> like two hundred and fifty pounds. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Is it still on the West End? Yeah, yeah. It's on the West End at the moment. Yeah. You didn't say the lyric. Here. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. So the lyric is, um, "This is not a moment; it's a movement." And at the, obviously, at the time, he's talking about the American Revolution, so it's not really the same thing. But <laughs> but for me, um, it kind of links to the whole idea of like at the moment we're seeing activism like rise and like free periods is one thing but then we're seeing like gun control in America and then Brexit mm. and then like climate change and all these little things that seem separate but actually aren't and they're part of like a bigger wave of like teenage activism and youth activism and like just the rise of youth engagement in politics which is something that I think for a long time adults and politicians have tried to dismiss as like not really being mm. very important mm. but now kind of all these things coming together is proving that we're like changing the culture around activism and changing the like the idea of who it impacts, like the, the idea that social media is impacting young people, but also young people are impacting politics more than before. And I think that kind of shows that these things are really very interwoven. Yeah, and I also think people definitely try and dismiss things as just like, oh, this is a fad, exactly. this is a little moment, mm. or this is, you know, a trend. Yeah. We, when we were doing the Feminist Don't Wear Paint book, when we started talking about it, they were like, do you really think feminism will still be on trend in a year? Oh. And then actually one of the editors from Penguin just looks at this man, obviously, that said that. And goes, oh, yeah, she said that. Yeah, and goes, oh. did you just compare women to colouring books? Which <laughs> 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 is great. Um, yeah, but it's very good. What about you, Scarlett? What's your um, Mine's item? Mine's really geeky, and it's a book called Iranian Women's One, Mi one Million Signatures Campaign for Equality, The Inside Story. Um which is a book about this movement, but it's kind of the movement that is my thing because I got really obsessed with it a few years ago and it was just like this huge movement in Iran started by an Iranian woman where they basically wanted to get one million signatures on this petition fighting for women's equality. And it was kind of one of the first movements in, in Iran specifically where it wasn't like white people coming in and being like, this is what women need to be equal and they need to be like <laughs> us and they should be able to wear nail polish. And, you know, there's always that yeah. really famous quote that Barbara Bush said that the Iraq war was happening because women needed to wear nail polish. Are you serious? Yeah. Was she saying that as serious? Yeah, she was like, women in Iraq can't wear nail polish. Oh and that's why. So it was, you know, it's oh. just this idea. And I think when we think about feminism, often it's been really whitewashed and whitewashed by middle class white women. And as a middle class white woman, I feel very like interested in exploring why that happened. And I think this campaign in particular is just a really amazing example of like grassroots activism. And there was loads of stuff in this that I took 
when we did free periods because it's just about like how you get to specific groups um, that you maybe wouldn't have got through through mainstream media, but also just about letting women advocate for themselves. And I think that's always something huge, you know, not having this kind of paternalistic model of like swooping in and being like, this is what you need and this is what you need, but actually letting people fight for themselves. Oh, I'd actually like to kind of like, like you actually made, um, triggered a thought in my head. So I was thinking, it's interesting you're talking about like whitewashing of, of feminism or something mm. like that. So do you think, like with any social cause, do you think there's different tiers or do you feel like, say for instance, maybe as a black man, there's police brutality and mm. then there's lack of like opportunities and maybe like the creative industry. So do you feel like if you if you directly um, address one cause, you have an inherent responsibility to address the others as well in the sense that, when it comes to feminism, if we're talking about things that affect us in the first world, you know what I mean? Yeah. Is it also a responsibility to show like prioritisation towards other things that affect women universally? Yeah, and I think, but I also think there really is, I mean, if we're talking about the patriarchy, which fundamentally like feminism is a movement against patriarchy. The patriarchy what, what's is, patriarchy for those who don't know? So the patriarchy is like the system of control over all of our society that has typically been controlled by straight white men with all the power and it's like how our society is built on a structure that is the patriarchy which is just where men are in charge and white men are in charge and everyone else is like their subjects and I think if we're looking at that and that's what feminism is fighting like police brutality also comes from the patriarchy like black men not getting into creative jobs also comes from the patriarchy it's all the same thing and I think we've really made the mistake of not linking up those causes and not kind of bringing everyone on side in the past, um, no, no, it's interesting. Kind of what you're asking, yeah, yeah, no, yeah. It's, it's, no, definitely what I was, what I was, I was asking, just because I feel like, especially as a man, like this is my my biggest kind of like um um kind of difficulty understanding feminism time is because like, say for instance, uh, my family's from Ghana in it, so when my first kind of relationship with um women being kind of like um disadvantaged and not being given opportunities is from like an African understanding where there's young girls who like may be forced into sex work and yeah, stuff like yeah. that and then then I look I have to look at it as well from like a western standpoint where it's like people talking about like just like sexual liberation or being able yeah. or being able to, to 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 be viewed as a person to to make your own choice and decision yeah. not sexualized and not told this is what you can and this is what you can't wear mm. so for me as a man the hardest thing was kind of like trying to appreciate these two dynamics and I thought my, my job is to see like which is feminism and which is not or if so which one's more important feminism and which you understand which one I'm yeah. about, and you know I feel like that was the hardest thing for me to try and, and understand and I'm still are, trying to understand these it. are some of the problems we've made in the past which is by either saying that equality looks the same for everyone yeah so it's like you know us being like if we feel like sexually liberated it will also help the people in Ghana and actually we need different approaches for every single woman and it's I kind think of like we also saying. need yeah. to start from the I mean there's this theorist about the basement analogy where you need to start from the bottom and then work your way up so actually white women should be like the last priority on the feminist agenda but I think something if you can do it right something that can be great about feminism is that it links together all these issues and it could be if we do it right it could be this really cohesive movement that does link together all women's equality in one place but it historically like I think people have messed that up what are what do you think are the difficulties of creating change especially as an activist when you as a person are still figuring out your own place mm. in the world 
I think it's really hard. Yeah. I think it's really hard because, again, it's like what we're talking about all of this now. There's so much pressure to, like, know everything, have the yeah. answers to everything, yeah. you know, like, always have an opinion on something. And when you're young and, like, not necessarily media trained, yeah. you, we, mm. we all fuck up yeah, because yeah. we'll say things that we'll just say in a conversation but not quite knowing the way that we're being yeah, sort of interviewed. Yeah. And so I think it is really hard and, like, we all have had experiences where we're sort of working with, like, mainstream politicians and they function in a completely different way. Yeah, they're way. trained for that. Yeah, totally. yeah they're the way trained they communicate, for that. War, everything's yeah, so battle, calculated yeah. and everything takes so much longer yeah. and it has to be like thought about properly. And because we're like young and full of rage, we kind of just do it. So I think yeah. that's where you kind of have to learn a bit to like grow up quite quickly. I mean, you would have that more than me because you started when you were 17. Yeah, I think I've definitely found that like people expect you also talking, going back to the word activist if you're an activist, you're just a general activist on everything mm. and you have an opinion on everything and you're, you know, you if you have this opinion, you definitely have this opinion. And it's like, I don't know if that is my opinion or not. And a lot of the time you are expected to be, yeah, very kind of clued up on a lot of things and also be doing a million other things as well. Because mm. kind of when we're young, we're not expected to just be doing activism. So yeah. like, if you are, it's a bit like, you know, where's that going to lead you? Um I also so, yeah. think something that's hard is like a lot of activists, the reason they're interested in what they're doing comes from a place of personal trauma. So like you've been through something which then makes you want to fight so that <laughs> never happens again. Yeah. But that can also lead to like a lot of emotions and it can be really hard work. Like I think we know so many activists that like, you know, end the day like in tears because mm. it is, mm. you're doing something that is incredibly emotionally taxing and I think we all need to get better at kind of looking after ourselves. Right. And, and also that, sorry to interrupt you, right. that whole like whataboutery thing, mm. which yeah. is like the most annoying <laughs> What's that? Thing. So, oh, you're fighting for this, but what about? Yeah, that's the yeah. yeah. dying yeah, 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 here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or like, oh, you wear fake fur, but apparently fake fur is just as bad as real yeah, fur yeah, now. Yeah, yeah, so like, yeah. you might as well just be wearing real fur. And like, oh, but you drink soy. Soy is actually killing the environment. Yeah. You know, there's all <laughs> yeah, of these different all, things. Yeah, yeah, I'm constantly yeah. being told off like wearing this brand and not, do you know what I mean? Yeah, 100%. And so when you're young, it's like you kind of or feel you. you have to know all of these things and you feel like you're going to get in trouble if you fuck up. I also just think it's such bullshit. Like, such bullshit. You could, everyone could be so evil and if you're doing one thing that isn't evil, exactly. it's like, let them off the hook. That's why it's so <laughs> off-putting. Yeah. Because why would you want to enter into like owning a label yeah. where literally everything you do will be under scrutiny? Yeah. Right, because that happens to me all the time. I can all imagine, yeah. All the time where I get so many unsolicited private messages on Instagram where people are like, oh, Look, someone else has just been killed in like Chicago. Like, yeah. what are your thoughts? And I'm like, oh. yeah. <laughs> Whereas, okay. like, some football player that's never talked about any issues doesn't get those messages. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So, so people <laughs> tend to like project this idea of like savior and martyr yeah. Yeah. onto yeah. you. But then the irony is that when they place you in the position of being this martyr and savior and knower of all things right and great and perfect, they then also still criticize your way of doing it mm. by yeah. being like well I mean you seem to be a good person who does care about things and you've shown that you are actively doing things to you know make the world a safer place based on what you're trying to do but you eat meat down to morality and it's about are you a good person yes or no I know. Yeah. and that's how people and there think. are all of these different ways of like marking up and nobody is ever going to be perfect at the end yes. of the day so 
My sister has a lot of friends, and she's like from like kind of kind of like, she mixes with a lot of different people, particularly like people from Asia, because we're Muslim, obviously. And she says that she has friends who, when they're on a period, they hide it from their their brothers. Mm. So she's like she's got friends whose brothers don't actually like know what a period is. You get what I'm saying? Yeah, Until, yeah, that's really yeah. common. That, yeah. And I, that and blew my mind. That like blew my mind. You get what I'm saying? Because in my house, I remember like walking around, and I don't know. Um, Okay, so it's not sanitary pads. They're like, what's the word? tampons? Tampons. tampons. Yes, yeah. So I used to see them and I used to play with them all the time when I was a kid. Because you always see them like, and I was trying to well, figure out what they Yeah, I was trying okay. to figure out what they were. Do you understand what I'm saying? So for me, very early on, I had to understand that, okay, that's not what you're supposed to be playing with. You know, you put them in the water and they blow up, all them kind of stuff. Because I grew up in the house with, with a lot of women in the house. You know what I'm saying? But yeah, but it just blew my mind because she's like, yeah, um, because especially when it's, it's Ramadan and you're supposed to be fasting, yeah. Yeah. there's a period where like she all kind of like hide because it's kind of like taboo to say that oh, I'm on my period so I'm not fasting do you get what I'm saying right so mm. that, that that I can definitely understand where that conversation is kind of like coming from it's and then that like perpetuates onto like women because yeah. if they're taught that other people are disgusted by their periods then that makes them feel that they should be disgusted yeah. by their periods and by like the, what their natural bodily fun- functions are so then we grow up with this shame around talking about periods yeah. and like you know so many women don't even talk about it with each other I have friends oh. who didn't tell their mums for six months when they started their yeah, period. Yeah, I didn't they tell just, my mum. Yeah, you're one of them. But also, like, like, there's this thing that I see a lot of women do where they'll... Like, did, like we don't talk enough about how vaginas have different smells throughout yeah. the yeah. month, even when you're not on your period. Yeah. Vaginas can be very musty at times, even when you're super hygienic, like, because it's a natural thing. Mm. But what I find quite fascinating is the fact that as women, we tend to reinforce that same violence onto ourselves by policing other women and like doing all these things like using all kinds of weird soaps and stuff on our bodies but I don't see oh, men having that same kind of like intimate hygiene being imposed on them like they literally are allowed to be musty mm. and no one makes them feel bad about it like on a on a global scale we're told that it's like attractive like oh yeah like so manly yeah. I, 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 I try to smell fresh all the time just making it clear I don't like yeah. so one of our next campaigns that we did at Pink Protest was called Hashtag Girls Wank Tooth um, and it was all about female masturbation and like reducing the stigma around female masturbation. And that is definitely a topic where I think women hurt themselves. Like we ourselves are so ashamed about it that we never talk about it and never talk to men about it and nothing. And like so much of this stuff is about women's own shame around mm. it. It's not nothing to do with men. Yeah, because yeah. again, you inter- you internalise that misogyny and then you use it to police yourself. Mm. And also like, I remember once I... Came back from New York and I'd like been having sex with this guy and then I my friend felt my leg hair and she was like, "Are you joking? Like you had sex and your ha- your legs were that hairy?" And I was like so embarrassed because I felt I was like, "Oh, he he didn't mind. It wasn't a problem." But she made me feel like yeah. it was so oh, disgusting. Yeah. And so I think a lot of this stuff is like you're saying it's women internalizing and kind of. Talking to each other about it. Because men are savage, they don't really care. Men don't really give a shit. Men love their place to go Right. No, but it's true though. You'll be surprised, you know. Sully, face front, fam. Why are you running, bro? It's true. (laughs) No comment. I have no comment for this. No, it's very true. And I think what makes that hair thing really hilarious is that, like, the fact that. Because I'm learning to challenge this way of thinking. 
when it does leap out of me as well, where I feel like, oh, I'm going to go see a guy. Should I shave? And I'm like, hold yeah. on a minute. Like, first of all, you should consider yourself lucky that you've made it to the finals. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so for me to now go and alter my body to impress you, I think yeah. I'm, not, I'm not doing that. You take what you're given and if you don't like it, then that's your loss. I'm not going to modify myself or put myself in a position of discomfort yeah. for you to... Um, hopefully like me more. Yeah. What's that going to do for me? And I always think that actually they don't care. They don't care. I know, but it's it's the way that we feel about yeah. it that's so yeah. damaging. It's like we think of it's it's them that we sort of project our fears into them and that yeah. they're going to say something. But it's totally like I am repulsed by parts of my body hair yeah. and I yeah. find it gross and I think no one would want to have sex with me if I had hair in certain places, which is just bullshit. But it's right. kind of all inside me. Like if it grows out of you, it's supposed to be there. As a yeah. guide, to be honest, once you're aroused, you barely see anything straight anymore. Do you understand <laughs> what I'm saying? You're not. You're, you're, no, it's just, I'm just being honest. Yeah. Once you're aroused, you're in like one mode. you understand what I'm saying? Yeah. That's why when, like when, when, when people say, oh, guys are thinking with a dick, I can totally understand because once you're not thinking about, oh, yeah, yeah oh, she should she have said, you know yeah. what I'm saying? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Or like her nails are, you know what I'm saying? You're not like, yeah. I always miss spots. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, same. And I hate it. I'm like, oh, great. It's one straight hair. Yeah. <laughs> so I have another question, right? Do you feel like you should stand with causes which don't directly affect you? Like, for example, Black Lives Matter. Like, how do you feel about those sorts of conversations when it comes to activism and the idea that as an activist you need to just be in a constant state of caring? I did loads of campaigning with Black Lives Matter when I was in New York and there were definitely like loads of points where I was told to leave and told that I shouldn't be there. Wait, sorry, what was, why were you told to leave? I don't know, it was interesting. Like, I think on this topic, loads of people have different views and a lot of people that I was campaigning with, a lot of people I was campaigning with I was friends with and wanted me to be there and like, you know, all the support, believed that all the support they could get mattered. But a lot of people that I was campaigning with thought that it, you know, I had no right to protest on those issues. And I think I just found it really, I think I've quite, I just found it really interesting and there were different reactions and it was something I really cared about and that wasn't going to kind of put me off from doing it. But yeah, I think it's something people are very split on. I think, I think as someone who's black and as someone who is heavily passionate about Black Lives Mm. Matter I think the reason why people would have felt that you don't need to be in that particular environment depending on the whatever room it was or conversation it was I think it's about understanding that there are there are other ways to effectively care about something um whilst leaving those who are directly affected by it to be able to cope with it in their own way for example like when black people are marching we're marching because we don't have any other options left but for example, you, Scarlett, you're in a position where you could probably um, gather some resources or talk directly yeah. to people who have power. So you don't actually need to be marching because you have other ways of doing it in your own way. So I think that's probably the tone of the whole idea of you not needing to be there. Completely. But I also think a lot of white people that I know are just so scared of getting involved with these issues because of that fear. And I feel like in that you know, a few years that I did all that campaigning, I learned so much and I did learn where I could use, you know, my privilege and my yeah. power and where I wasn't needed. But it took me going through that to learn it because you don't just step into it understanding Absolutely. all these things. Yeah. And I think that, you know, whenever anyone asks why do more white people not get involved with Black Lives Matter, I think it's just because they don't understand and they don't. You need to go through that to realise where your voice 
can be useful. And, you know, there are so many white people I know that could have so much power yeah. on these issues, but they're too scared to be in a room and be like, oh, fuck, of course I should do that and not that, that they don't engage with it at all. Mm. But then, yeah, you know what, for any white true. people that are listening and are thinking, okay, what can I do? I do care about black lives. I want to be involved. Don't know where to start. The place to start is to actually recognise what whiteness means, mm. how it's been constructed, how white supremacy works, how that how that um, has influenced the way you view yourself, how you've been raised. Those who you love closest to you is where you need to start your activism, yeah. is where you need to start your care. So you need to be challenging those that you love and it will be a very disappointing yeah. and uncomfortable experience. But mm. also I would say challenging yourself. Like, I think it's about putting your allowing yourself to be the person in the wrong and like what that feels like and then understanding that and knowing how you can use it yeah I I think that's a big part of it because my biggest thing as well I can see why there's a hostility because people will be like you don't know what I've been through you've never Mm. experienced it you know what I mean but I think it's important that if you want to be involved in the issue then you should be on the ground as well do you understand what I'm saying it shouldn't just be from a place of like okay now it's time to get involved it should always be like when being Mm. in those spaces consistently and being around people and being involved involved in a community so when you're advocating for the community they understand that this is the mem- this is somebody who has a relationship with the community do you know yeah. what I'm saying that's what I get what you're saying yeah because what I'm learning as well is that I'm I'm a black person so I'm obviously oppressed by white supremacy mm-hmm. but I'm a cisgendered heterosexual mm-hmm. woman which means that I identify with the sex that I was assigned at birth um, and I'm also straight so it means that if I'm seen holding a guy's hand in the street no one's ever going to throw a rock at my head mm-hmm. and be like what is this abomination um, for me I'm learning to recognise as well that just because I'm oppressed um, to an extent there are people that are more oppressed than mm-hmm. me but also even within the black community, there's work that needs to be done. And I'm in a position where I belong to a group that have a reputation for enacting violence on black trans people, on black disabled people. So it means that I have to also confront myself and challenge everything I've been taught to believe. I have to challenge what gender means and the how it's been constructed and how those constructs work in my favour if I'm able to assimilate with what those ideas mean and... I have to also really challenge my loved ones and challenge my friends and fight with people. And it's really uncomfortable and hideous. But it also means that I need to be willing to show up for and listen to people from those identities who say things like, do you know what, I hate straight people. Or I think I think cisgendered people um, are violent. And I have to say, you know what, I agree. Mm-hmm. And I'm not going to argue with you or feel offended by Mm. you saying something mean because Mm. you can say whatever you want to say it's mean at most it will be inconvenient but it's never going to put me in a position where I'll be murdered for being straight and that's something that I have to always think about and I think everybody needs to recognise the role that they play and I think that's where the activism can start Mm. Yeah, totally I think that's amazing 100% very well put do you think people can be angry about like the state of society if they didn't vote. Because I was seeing a lot of gaslighting happening on on Instagram during the period where Americans were doing Mm. a lot of voting and stuff. And whilst not all of it was gaslighting and some of it was very well intended and very well, there was a lot of pure intention behind it, encouraging people to go out and be active about what they care about. But I don't know where, I don't know how I feel about the idea of like deciding that if someone doesn't vote, out of two terrible options that Mm. they don't care. I know, I think it's really hard because I completely agree we, like, dismiss people because once someone said that, 
especially people in politics, they'll be like, oh, well, I'm not even going to try and talk to you anyway because mm. that they think you're just dumb. When actually, when it is two options that I don't want to vote for, it's a really hard thing. But I think... At the end of the day, we have one very small power and that is to vote because it, the way that we vote, especially as young people, because young people don't turn out, politicians don't feel they have to cater to what we yeah. want. Whereas if we turned out much more, then they would change their policies to appeal to us more. So that is how we can sort of change the process slowly. Mm. But yeah. it's hard. And I do also think there's, a, especially in America, there's a huge amount of like structural dis... Oh, I can't, I don't know what the word is. Disincentivizing. Like they are trying to make you not vote. Like they're yeah. trying yeah. to make young. They're trying to make it as hard as possible for young people to not vote to vote. They're making it as hard as possible for black people to vote. Like they're really trying. They are, there are these politicians who spend thousands and thousands of dollars trying to make people not be able to vote. So I think we then can't blame people as much as you know some people would like to. Wow. I've learned so much today. <laughs> no, I enjoyed today's oh, conversation. Oh, you're so amazing. Man, yeah. You three. <laughs> well, so we do this thing on the show all the time where before we wrap, we like to ask every single person what they have learned today because as much as this conversation is about spreading the word and really getting into what you care about, ultimately, it's really hard to learn from other people if you aren't on the same level. So I guess I'll start with myself and what I've learned. I think... I've learnt from Amica that you're never too young to care about something. Um, the fact that you started at 17. Do you know what I was doing when I was 17, yeah? Hmm. <laughs> I, was, I was on Twitter fighting people, yeah? I was on Twitter fighting people and not, not out of activism, just Twitter me and being a troll. Yeah. Twitter and Tumblr, I was a troll. I was a troll! <laughs> I was just posting all these like silly facial expressions and just being really careless. And... It's just mad to think that while I was doing that, there was probably someone in the world like rallying people to come to turn down in the streets. So, like, it's, just, <laughs> it's amazing. It's amazing. And I think what I've definitely learned is to recognize that if you care enough, I think you can you can use the tools you have. I still think it's possible to make things like that happen. You don't need to be famous or popular because you're not famous. You're not someone that I would refer to as like popular but you've been able to create a change that has come, that the people that are benefiting off that don't even, probably don't even know it's you or don't even know you. And I think that's something that is so moving and wonderful. And I really do hope you continue to grow with that kind of um, tenacity and fire because it's so wonderful. And I don't, ever, I don't think I've ever come across someone like that. Oh, yeah. you're welcome. Girl. Do you want to like speak at my wedding? Yeah. <laughs> Thank so, you. Yeah, right. <laughs> What about you, Sully? What have you learned today? Um, I think it was towards the end of the conversation. Grace said something very interesting, actually. And I guess it's more selfish, but it's more from an artist's perspective when you were talk when you when you were talking about comedy. Because as as a poet, someone who interprets um, society, you're always talking about like your political correctness. You're thinking it's kind of narrowed the remit of things you can talk about. But then I realised, like you said, it's just it's people you just made people just being lazy. Do you understand what I'm saying? Because like you said, the whole this, there's so many more discussions to have. There's so many things to interpret. And even prior to that, like these things wasn't issues you wanted to talk about until they became like a topic of conversation. So I think it's like it created a kind of reflective process as to like how I want to like further approach my art going forward as well really like not trying to use the excuses oh, I can't talk about that I can't talk about this and really finding a creative way to discuss things yeah. rather than just sticking to like the comfortable ways you know of addressing it yeah 
Grace, what have you learnt today? Um, well, I've learnt loads, but the thing I want to say is just that I have reaffirmed the thing that I knew, which, which is just that young people are fucking amazing. Right, aren't we? All of us. Right? Like, I'm sorry, <laughs> the things that everyone that I'm in this conversation with now are doing is insane. And the fact that, like, we kind of don't come to this saying we're necessarily activists, but we just are, mm-hmm. is really important. Like... Let's forget about constantly re-saying re- that we're activists. What we're all doing is activism, and we should all, you should all be incredibly proud of that. Oh, thank you, Grace. <laughs> I was going to say this. Sorry. Oh, I'm you, a go, you go. You're in the middle. <laughs> I was going to say the same thing. I was going to say, I think young people, like, now is the time of young people. Like, now more than ever, young people are just so powerful, and I think we're all proving that. And just, there is just, so, we're part of, like, this massive movement. Like I said before, like, it just feels like now is just like this yeah it's not it's not a trend at all it's like something really permanent and really important and something that politicians need to wake up to i think and oh my I gosh think... i love hearing you speak please, <laughs> please just be like someone that's like what's that when you i stop... think you're gonna run the I un one day prime minister. Yeah. Yeah. bigger than prime minister yeah she's gonna run the un jeez <laughs> Um, no. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no, you can move on. <laughs> no, no, but I do. I feel really inspired. Scarlett. Um, I think I'm. I mean, I've learned the same things you guys have, but I think I'm very interested that both of you began this episode not necessarily saying you're activists. Because I think I admire both of you so much and Thank everything you. you do, and think that your voices are so important and everything you're doing is so important. And it's what I would like if I was asked to define activism in a dictionary. I, you two would be people I put down. So I think <laughs> like we either need to redefine how we see activism, or you guys need to start calling yourself activists. Ooh, uh, I love yeah, that. Yeah, <laughs> it's a challenge, but I can't lie. Towards the end, towards the end of this discussion, my perspective has kind of changed. Mine too. So I feel like I, I would I'm start answer the first question now. a bit yeah, differently. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> result, result, result. <laughs> Are you an activist, Celine? Yeah, right. Yes, Celine, yeah. yeah. activizing. <laughs> oh, I love this. Thanks for coming. Thanks for having us. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Spin your passion into a business of Shopify and break sales records with the world's best converting checkout. Let's hear that one more time. The world's best converting checkout. Shopify's legendary checkout makes it easier for customers to shop on your website, across social media, and everywhere in between. Now that's music to your ears. Any way you spin it, you can be a smash hit with Shopify. Start your dollar a month trial today at shopify.com slash records.